Well, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whatever time zone you may be in. And thank you for joining the Holistic Leadership Podcast. Um, I'm here with my co-host, Jeffrey Roche. Uh, my name is Dr. Travis Hearn, and we have an amazing guest here today. Uh, Michael Rouse, who is the founder and CEO of Cass AI for Mental Health Chat Support. As a former patient and longtime peer support counselor, Michael was compelled to start Cass AI. It's a technology company providing mental health support through conversations with an AI mental health assistant. CAS stands for Calm and Safe Space, allowing people to break through the stigma around mental health. To date, the CAS chat assistant has provided access to over 30 million people and has de-escalated over 20,000 suicide situations. These AI assistant chats have been found to significantly reduce the symptoms of depression, anxiety, and loneliness. To date, 13 peer-reviewed research studies prove the safety and effectiveness of this product. Uh, Michael also leads the CAS Foundation. It's a nonprofit aiding underserved communities by providing free access to CAS support technology. Uh, Michael and his team at CAS believe that mental health care should be equitable and available to everyone, regardless of location, income level, or anything else. So, man, thank you so much for being here, Michael. Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Michael, you've led teams overseas and in the United States, um, and I cannot wait to hear the answer to this initial kickoff question because um, it's it's got to be it's it, there's going to be some differences. So I would love for you to share with everybody your experience in leading teams and in leadership in the United States as well as in Europe. You're originally from the Netherlands, and you've led teams for for in, in the Netherlands and here. So just your ideas and your thoughts on the different leadership styles and models that you see um, between Europe and the US? Yeah, there's definitely quite a difference. And one interesting, less known fact, perhaps, is actually part of it is rooted and visible even in the political system. So I don't want to get all political right off the bat, but <laughs> there's in, in Europe, you have usually it's five to seven parties who have to work together and partner in order to become the majority in the government and in that way to be the, the governing party. Um, and for that to happen, you have to partner. So what you see in these teams is that the individuals on the teams are more inclined to partner. And also the leader, therefore, has to be inclined to partner with their team and partner with other teams. So it's a lot about partnering and, and concessions, et cetera, and working together. Whereas what I'm seeing in the, in the US, they're and especially with regards to the tech industry, uh, there's often these visionary leaders that are required to have this big vision, this North Star vision. And even if everyone tells them they're, they're, that their idea is not going to work or that the, the vision is not going to work or it's not possible today, they have to stay true to that mission to really make these big changes in the industry happen. So that, that's been very interesting to see those two almost polar opposites of each other. But at the same time, also, if you have such a big vision to achieve, you can only do so through partnerships. And that's what we're seeing, especially the topic partially we're talking about today with regards to mental health. It's just such a big problem to address. And it's, it's just not going to be possible to do it alone. Like you, you need to have partnerships, public, private partnerships. There's different partnerships between the tech companies. It's, it's, it's such an important problem to solve. And hopefully and luckily, what we're seeing is that people are also more willing to partner on these things. Michael, you know, I'm curious, right? It's interesting because uh, to your point, there's there's significant societal differences between Europe and, and the United States. And I've always been interested also, uh, obviously as a, as a dual citizen, uh, obviously, that's why you see that German flag there next to that American flag, dual citizen. Uh, 
that, you know, in, in Europe, we don't see burnout at the same wide scale than we do in the United States. And I'm curious, I mean, as somebody that's led teams in both, um, and also somebody that grew up born, um, you know, know Europe very well. Why do you think here in the U.S. we have burnout, which obviously is significant impact to mental health uh, of all ages, um, in the same way that that we don't necessarily see in the same exact manner in the, in Europe? Yeah, I've definitely seen a difference in simply how how businesses are run and where the, the focus and nuance is. So a company can be very strong through the partnership model and through um, really the focus on the individuals, making sure that they're doing well, that they're resilient, that they're able to thrive. And so that's very motivating. At the same time, in, in the United States, what's very motivating to people is you can make it super big if you just really put your mind to it. So if you really put your mind to it, it's the land of, of the opportunity. You, you come here with nothing, but you can end up running a big company. And you can really climb that ladder. And that's also very motivating to a lot of people. And therefore also creates very strong companies that a lot of people really want to perform. So it's different incentives. And at the same time, it's really about the resilience and almost making sure that there's a right way this is being fostered. Because in the end, if, if someone is burnt out, then that's not good for anyone. It's a, it's a lose, lose, lose situation where the individual is not happy. The employer is not happy. The, the health plan is not happy. So it's in the end, at all costs, that's also something that really should be prevented. So there's a central message in there, right? Uh, you, can't, you can't lead an organization if you don't care about people. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and it's interesting. And Travis, I know, has talked a lot about this and has always inspired me uh, with, his, with his passion really for the people part. And so, Travis, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, the people part. I mean, I was what I was the mental health issue i mean even over the past couple of years especially you talked about the tech industry michael and you and i are uh, in, joined in the tech industry at the hip in the tech industry but what we've seen is that it is when people start started well as people work remotely and as the people are at home and isolated we talk you talk about um how what you've built has helped decrease isolation and loneliness so what i see is people are continuing to just go down this road of isolation in the tech industry because they're at home they're they're not taking care of themselves physically mentally so with with that i think that's a great segue into like please tell us tell us about cast ai and and tell us about how leaders are incorporating this to, to just to help their people and, and tell us how it ties into mental health and in just because it's the stats that, that that have come out of your creation are amazing and people need to know about it. And so please just tell us a little bit about it. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's been a lot of hard work and many years of hard work. We actually started out as a research firm initially to really do the research, to look at, is this even possible? And then we saw, yes, there are signs that this is possible. And then like, let's do this, but small steps and make sure it's safe and do more research. We now publish 13 peer-reviewed research studies and then slowly working more with industry to get it into the hands of people and really get to the distribution. So I've learned quite a lot. Um, this is already over the past 10 years or so um, about all the ins and outs of benefits plans, benefits brokers and the health plans and the employers and how everyone works together to try and make sure that the employees are getting what they need to uh, basically fulfill themselves to their maximum potential. And the way we tie in there is uh, we've created this 
AI assistant. So very much like when I was a peer support counselor, I would be, when I started in the workplace, uh, I worked at IBM at the start of my career and I found myself um, talking to my manager and talking to coworkers and basically to a degree, this was peer support counseling. We just didn't call it that way because there's stigma. Uh, but it was very clear that there was a need for it. And of course, always through peers, it's much easier because there's less stigma. And that's really the insight I had. But then I thought, oh my, so many more people need help. And I'm just me. And I know there's so many other peer support counselors, but I started looking at the data. And then especially when I moved to the US, I started looking at the data there and I was shocked by the huge divide. So there's about um, one in five or one in four people um, who need access to mental health support. But what you see is that the number of trained professionals is um, by one order of magnitude, almost about one in 50. There's just not enough individuals to really help all these people who need help. So that's really when I thought, okay, I am extending kind of the capacity from my counselor's point of view. Uh, But if I could make something that could be like a parrot, I just repeat the stuff that I'm saying, because I'm also just repeating stuff that my therapist told me. Um, then hopefully from a self-help perspective, that's going to be helpful. And yeah, now fast forward, uh, we've exchanged 50 million messages with all the different people we've been supporting. And um, initially the focus was very much on the clinical side because we wanted to prove out that this is a clinical tool that has clinical studies um, attached to it um, and is really effective. Then what we learned over the years is the second biggest problem is access to care. And going down the clinical pathway, we felt like there was often still too much resistance, partially from the industry resistance, partially from people being afraid of their job. And eventually now what we've seen is really going the route of being an assistant to the case manager or to the nursing team. Um, or from a benefits plan perspective, um, or from the health plan, the outreach team, the community health worker, that's really where we're now seeing we create most value. And that's currently our focus of the focus on loneliness and social isolation very nicely ties into that. And then of course, also the more traditional things we've helped with like stress and, and, and feelings of sadness and depression. You know, it's intriguing, right? Because, um, last year, uh, Dr. Vivek Murthy, our surgeon general, uh, came out with a with a um, sort of an epidemic call and said, "Hey, you've got to really focus on mental health in the workplace." This year, he came out with a similar Surgeon General awareness and said, "You've got to address social isolation." Um, and so, you know, here we sit in 2023, uh, two distinct issues. Many will say certainly got worse uh, during the pandemic, but they've been they've been terrible uh, for quite some time because societally we haven't really dealt with it. Uh, certainly in the workplace, we haven't dealt with it. I'm curious the way that you've gone about this, all ages, um, and how have you addressed, you know, lack of broadband, lack of uh, data infrastructure, you know, in some rural communities and some urban communities, uh, et cetera? Yeah, that, that's been the real challenge because in the end, there's so many people who live in those areas who just don't get access to care at all because it's even harder to get access to care. And then there's also the disadvantage of not having easy internet access, et cetera. So, what we made sure is really to, to find people where they are, to really get to the best kind of consumer experience possible, like the healthcare consumer. And in that way, it's available on simple text message. So anyone with a cell phone, regular text message can just text. It's a toll-free number. And the exciting thing is this 
this very advanced AI technology that's able to repeat kind of the lessons that I had learned and also lessons of all the mental health experts that have created content for our platform. Um, it's able to repeat that content and then help others with it. And yeah, simply through regular text messaging. That's fascinating. And I mean, you know, it's interesting, right? Because um, I don't know if I, I don't know if I had told you this story previously, but I think I told you a part of it uh, at my former healthcare system, um, which our listeners hear about a lot. I had helped to build out a service line uh, in behavioral health. And one of the things that we did was we integrated primary care and behavioral health uh, with significant impact. So if you were a mom and you were pregnant, you would, you would see a therapist in the OBGYN office, not have to go to a private appointment. Uh, if you were a primary care patient, instead of having to leave and go see, the therapist would really revolve around you as the patient. Uh, what we found was so much improvement uh, for the patients uh, because it was improving that access to care. We purposely put it in more rural communities because we knew they wouldn't have that access. We then added a second phase of it, which I will remember fondly because we were, I was criticized uh, for it by other health system leaders. They said, I don't know why you would invest in this. Uh, and we sponsored bands who would actually go into schools, middle schools. And uh, it was a phenomenal band uh, still around today uh, that wrote music entirely around mental health issues. And they would, uh, we would put on big performances, assemblies uh, in the middle school. And I will, uh, I will never forget a phone call I received uh, following one of those from the principal of the middle school. And he said to me, you won't believe what happened uh, this evening. And immediately I'm thinking, oh boy, uh, I'm in a crisis situation. And he said, um, one of the students that was there today went home and wrote a suicide note. Oh. And immediately I dropped. He came back and he said, that student went to Twitter, tweeted the band and said, your music impacted me so much today that this note is going to be thrown away. Mm. The band responded. The band, the artist responded and said, you have a life to live and you will live to further inspire all of us. That student lives today and wow. that student uh, has gone on to be productive uh, and, and life was changed. But to that point, I mean, what I'm, you know, I mean, not that it's apples to apples, but in that situation, I mean, again, that band was not a therapist, uh, but that music had impact. But what also had impact is they responded because I said to the principal, imagine if they didn't. Um, and uh, I can remember when I shared that story with our CEO, she said to me, I don't care what anybody says, that's impact. Uh, and, uh, and so your work resonates with me uh, because I remember, I will never forget that story uh, to the day that I die because uh, we need to intervene uh, in people's lives. And I think in the workplace, uh, I always say uh, leaders have a duty and responsibility to intervene more so on this issue than ever. Uh, because if we looked around the room right here, one out of four, uh, well, there's not a fourth here, but good chance one out of three has dealt with it. And so it's uh, appreciative of all the work that you're doing. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. And that's, yeah, that's definitely one of those steps of really going where the people are, right? Because the, the students, you reach them by 
coming up in a band, going into the school and play some music there. <laughs> like that's what excites them. If there's a billboard next to the road, they probably don't see it. They're looking at their phone. They're they're busy doing other things. So that's yeah, wow, that's such a wonderful story and especially the impact. That's that's really phenomenal. That's yeah, and that's also to to the work uh, we talked about during the introduction of our our work with suicide prevention. It's for us we we actually don't go out and try to necessarily find these individuals in most cases. It's just it comes up while we're talking with people. And what we try to be CAS, it stands for calm and safe space. It's it's a space where people can just voice their concerns. And really the way we kick off these conversations is not difficult. It's how are you? And when we say, how are you? Very different things come out. For some people it's, I'm doing terrible. I missed my doctor's appointment. I didn't have transportation. Um, I'm, I'm so in trouble and I don't know how to now cope with my diabetes. Well, that's a very typical kind of case management case where we then quickly get them connected to resources, get a human in the loop, make sure there's a case manager that takes over the chat and gets them set up and make sure they get the right access to care next time. Uh, but also somehow suddenly it can come up where they say, well, actually I'm, I'm having some real dark thoughts. Um, and that's. What we've seen um, is that the fact that it is not a person actually makes it easier to open up about these difficult topics. Whereas if it was a person, they might have not wanted to open up. But it's really like, it's like journaling. Like when you were a kid, you, you, you probably either wrote it in a diary and maybe later on you started journaling. And that's your private journal. Nobody reads that. That's the same thing for us. It's a, it's a calm and safe space where people can put their thoughts and then we just offer and make sure that people are safe. So we, in that case, we would say like, hey, um, uh, if if you are concerned for, for your safety, there are actually people who can take over this chat and there are actually crisis counselors on call uh, 24-7 in all 50 states. And yeah, that's that way, yeah, that's the way we de-escalate these things. It's not that the automated chats try to handle this problem. That's not worth it. That needs to be handled by the person. Yeah, Michael, this like so my background is I spent nine years in the Marine Corps back and forth from Iraq and Afghanistan. And I've, I've, I've dealt with a lot of friends who have have followed through with committing suicide. And a lot of this, in my mind, could have been avoided had they had someone or something to start that conversation with. There's such a stigma in the military about having to seek mental health, having to get having to go see a counselor. And the you just I, I can't help but think that if this technology were available back when uh, when, when we were coming home from from deployments and, and like that, where, where people where, where military mem- Marines, military members could just uh, could could talk to this and just 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 get that out. Just start the conversation. And then it, it may have ended much, much differently. So this is something that's really near and dear. Just like Jeffrey said, this is something that like I I. This is I wish it would have been available for the last 20 years. And I think it really could have saved so many lives of people that I that I knew um, that were coming back with just, you know, PTSD, with trauma, with all the different things that that come back, come with combat and come with 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 that kind of trauma. Um, But switching into the and the actual workplace itself, like how do we have the conversations with people about mental health? as leaders in the workplace today it's it's it i think it's be, beginning to be destigmatized because of the work like the, that you're doing i think people are really starting to listen to it um but in your opinion how can we do it better 
Yeah, and also actually on, on that previous topic with regards to veterans, we we help um, through one benefits plan, we're, we're helping actually a group of active duty uh, military soldiers. And um, yeah, there is really that breaking through the stigma to make sure someone is there. It's a safe outlet to talk about these things. And then another case that partially ties to the, the workplace a little bit more is another benefits plan that um, supports a lot of um, individuals from, from these community, communities. And at the same time, um, also tensions rise. And sometimes tensions really rise and these individuals reach out and they're frustrated by the benefits plan and they're frustrated by the person who picked up the phone. And that's very difficult for that individual and also for the person picking up the phone. So in that case, we're really doing two things. We're giving that individual calling in 24-7 support and making it way easier to get access. And at the same time as well, what we then hear from the folks in the call centers that they're saying, oh, this is so phenomenal. So many people call in who have already chatted with your service or already have connected with different benefits. And that way, um, it's much easier to support them getting more longer-term access to care. Um, so I just wanted to very quickly touch on that. And then, um, yeah, with regards to the, the workplace, um, it's, it's really, there's there's from a leadership perspective, things that can be done. And of course, with regards to tools, there's things that can be done. From a leadership perspective, I always try to lead by example in this way is that if leaders open up about their own mental health journey, then that makes it much safer for everyone in the organization to also open up about it and to properly make time for self-care and make sure that their resilience increases. And in the end, this is important for the individual. And it's also important for the company, because if you have a lot of people very stressed out on the verge of breaking down, then conflicts are going to happen in a heartbeat. And then collaboration is going to be gone and then productivity collapses. And then the company cannot achieve their goals. So it's, it's a win for the individual. It's a win for the company. And then the last one, the health plan, of course, lower levels of stress enormously help with lower cost of care. And just the comorbidities of mental health and then physical health are, are so clear these days. Yes. That in that way, it's just turning that from when we started the conversation, a lose, lose, lose. We're turning it into a win, win, win if we make this more commonly accepted. You know, it's, um, it's interesting too, right? Because statistically, if you would boil this down, majority, if not close to, of leaders also deal with mental health. Uh, either personally uh, or, you know, within their family. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting because there's always that adage that when you reach leadership, it's lonely, uh, which, you know, for those of us that have been in leadership, there are times where you do feel lonely. Uh, but what I think is important around this too is that idea of building community, right? And I know Travis and I have talked with other guests and and have talked about this too, that um, it's almost like we've got to get back to the basics, in every organization, whether it's small, medium, large. I was talking to one today and was just so hurt to hear how there was such a lack of community and um, and how you know one or two people can be so destructive to the culture that it can impact every aspect uh, around it. And ultimately our mind, body, spirit is so critical to how we contribute to your point in the workplace. Um, I'm curious though, I mean, when you look at I mean, the work you've done globally. Um, have you, ha, are there, are there, 
specific aspects of a culture that you could share that uh, sort of helped helped create space where individuals could be more open? Uh, you know, for example, and I don't even know this, but I'm guessing, uh, in fact, I'm at least positive based on my experience in Germany. In Germany, there's not as much of a stigma uh, when it comes to mental health. It's just, you know, we all face it, um, which is true. We all do face it in some in some way. But I'm just curious from that vantage point, anything that you could share from from that? Yeah, I think that, um, that also goes back to my earlier answer, kind of of the two different styles of getting ahead is because in Europe, it's very much focused around this partnering. You need to make sure that everyone on your team is doing well and your co coworkers are doing well and all to be able to get ahead that way. And in that way, if, if you're sharing, you might not be doing phenomenal. It's less chance that somebody swoops in and scoops up your lunch. As more ch bigger chance that they say, oh, like, how can I help? <laughs> and um, then in a way, if you compare it to in, in the US, it might be like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead further and work harder and work even more hours and I'm going to go get that promotion. And there's, there's very positive aspects to that. And at the same time, um, the question is, how, how do you create a culture where, yes, there's excitement around getting big things done. Yes, there's excitement about raising the corporate ladder, hitting goals, and there's excitement around doing it together and caring for each other and also for yourself. And one person I've actually learned quite a lot from over the years um, is a gentleman by the name Andy Billings. Um, he actually set up the, um, uh, the Electronic Arts um, University and had a lot of leadership roles there focused on promoting leadership within the company. And one interesting role he had was being the head of profitable creativity. Um, and that's kind of an interesting one because it really plays into this sphere of, hey, go-getters, work hard, get the goals. But at the same time, creativity instantly dies at some point. So it, like if people are not resilient and feeling well. So there's there was really this focus on how do you figure that out? How do you do that well? And that also ties to this other part, I think, about the workplace is, is budget. There's often this, yeah, it's, it's dangerous, dangerous word almost sometimes to bring up. Where, yeah. where it's HR would love to do much more. But then at the same time, from the CFO's perspective, sometimes they look at it and they say, where's the ROI? Where are yeah. the hard dollars coming in? Yeah. We could also be spending this on a marketing campaign. And it's, it's, the trouble of quantifying that and partially I'm, I'm proud that we're slowly being able to help with this issue is where when we chat with so many people on the health plan or so many people um, for a certain employer or benefits plan, then it becomes very quickly clear that with such a sample size, it becomes hard to deny that there isn't an ROI. And that way we kind of help these leaders to make a stronger case towards the CFO to say, look, there just needs to be more budget. But the painful thing is, and it's maybe a bit of an unpopular opinion maybe, but the painful thing is that in the end, mental health is very valuable in many people's eyes. At the same time, the budget is often the thing that really is a factor that slows things down. And the budget often either is not there or is not distributed or there's, there's something. But yeah, that's a, a daily challenge, I think, for for many of us trying to make a big change to this problem. So throughout the conversation we've been, ha we've been having, we've been talking about mental health. We've been talking about how, how people need to be mentally healthy in order to really survive. 
you um, share a strong commitment and interest in human-centered leadership. Why is this and how can we practice that in the workplace? Yeah. Well, the funny story is actually that's thanks to my mother. <laughs> and um, the stereotypical image uh, that's often portrayed in the media or in the movies is you have the strong man who's the chief executive or the, the successful businessman, and then the woman is supporting. In my family, how I grew up, that was the opposite. My mother was the CEO, uh, literally. Uh, so she, she ran actually a uh, social work organization. She also previously ran long-term care homes. And um, so it was very inspiring for me to see. And this goes back to the start of our conversation around that difference in how to, to attack these big challenges um, and difference in leadership style of partnering being a very big one. And next to the big problem of mental health and the big issues we face in healthcare, there's also the issues that we face with climate change and so many of these other like social unrest and so many of these other issues. And the interesting thing to see is if you, if you look at um, the literature is that from a leadership perspective, it's actually observed that this, this, this ethos of partnering more is more frequent um, among female leaders. And the um, actually very impressive thing is that within the healthcare industry, we're starting to do a very good job slowly. There was still some work to do. I think we're now at 40 to 45% of leaders who are female. Um, and of course, this room, we, we, we could have made some adjustments, but uh, <laughs> in the end, there, there, it, is, it is relatively good. Uh, like 40 to 45%, that's, that's actually very good. And, and the interesting thing is if you compare that to some other industries that are, have very big challenges for them to come as well, for example, like the energy or the, the, the financial services or technology, like tech industry. Um, and this is all from a report by the, the World Economic Forum. Um, there, actually, the, the percentage of female leaders is only 20 to 30%. So I'm, I'm, I'm finding that very interesting that this trend is slowly being observed in, in the literature. And yeah, the gender gap in general has been a common topic, but it's very powerful, I think, to really see it in this way, to really see like, hey, this is, this is really needed to, to tackle these big, big problems. Well, let me just say, Michael, uh, in healthcare, however, if you look at the number of female CEOs, we are still extremely low. Uh, generally, healthcare, you know, a lot of females have been in, in executive roles, but normally it's your chief nursing officer, your chief human resource officer, sometimes other. Uh, but the the number of uh, CEOs, presidents is still significantly lower. And and a good friend of mine, Rebecca Love, and I uh, regularly talk about this too. That on the boards of healthcare, it's even lower. Um, and so we have a lot of work to do. Uh, to really increase the diversity, uh, particularly in all industries uh, among gender, just like we have a lot of work to do to increase uh, diversity uh, of all different cultural ethnic groups uh, in roles as well. Um, because ultimately, there was a study just yesterday or this week that said if we would further diversify our healthcare workforce, we would improve health equity and, and eliminate healthcare disparities. So, you know, we've got to have courage in the healthcare system to make those changes. Um, and so, you know, very valid point. You'll hear me say, if I had to grade us as a society in the U.S. on this issue, we're still a C, uh, if not closer to a D. We have a lot of work to do. Um, and I would encourage us to move fast uh, because literally lives are, are on the line.
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm with you, Michael. My mother was the strongest woman leader that I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, and she passed away a couple of years ago, but still, I still bring that, that sense of what she, she gave me everywhere I go. So it's definitely uh, this, this conversation, like Jeffrey said, we need to accelerate this, this, this needs to happen. And I, I, I a hundred percent agree with everything that, that, that you said. And, and I know Jeffrey, uh, echoes my, my, my love for, uh, women and the, and leadership roles. And like, it's just, it's just amazing. So with that, Michael, thank you so much for, for joining us and, uh, and, and we will definitely be in touch and we'll see you next time. Wonderful. Thank you.